Welcome to First Turn, where we play board games for the first time and discuss our immediate reaction. It's like book club, but for board games. I'm Eric, and with me is Alexi and Kiwi. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Today we're going to be playing Exit Vector, designed by Jarek Black, Mark Dagler, and Matt Davis. Uh, this is a pre-production, so we don't know the artist yet, and it is going to be published 2023 by Vector Tridens LLC. Which the designers are all the owner of. So it's their publishing company. Exit Vector is a game of high-speed aerial combat in which players take control of armed and armored VTOL aircraft and a race through the skies over a dystopian urban landscape in pursuit of a much-needed payday. Mercenaries and soldiers of fortune striking from the shadows against corporate paramilitary forces call upon your pilot for extraction from a hot LZ or to provide heavy fire support or a fast insertion into the top floors of a high-rise building. The machinery of corporate oppression is everywhere and in the future carries enough firepower to shred your aircraft to pieces. Survivor... Survival? (laughs) Survivor! Survivor! Survival will require a careful balance of skillful piloting, accurate gunnery, and a deft hand at electronic warfare. Are you ready? Then kick the tire... Oh my god, I heard kick the tires 45 times in a meeting today, and now it's here? (laughs) (laughs) Fucking kidding me. Then kick the tires and light the fires. The mechanics are hex movement, action points, variable player powers, modular board, one verse mini, really, and dice rolling. Oh, I didn't realize it's a one verse mini game. Yeah, I didn't either. Uh, and the box art. Uh, we've got a like your classic uh, science fiction-y VTOL-style aircraft. It almost looks like the ship from um, Avatar, uh, kind of landing on the top of a building in a very like cyberpunk neo yeah neo cyberpunky uh, type thing. And then at the bottom it says "shoot, scoot, sleaze, and survive." If you told someone to draw you a cyberpunk. Uh, plane landing on a cyberpunk roof with a cyberpunk background this is what you would get it reminds me of your gmt no yeah gmt the red boxes at the top and bottom they've just replaced oh them. yeah with black it also kind of says exit ector v could be a bit better all right uh based off all this would you pull it off a shelf uh you know i'd probably look at it but i'm also a sucker for cyberpunk themes and that looks like almost a freelancer style city so yes yeah, I, I do like cyberpunk themes. Um, I don't know if the box art would jump out at me too much. The description sounds a little intense. Uh, might be more than I, I would would be looking for, but maybe it does sound different. I don't think we've ever played anything like this. I'll, I'll put me down for a, a yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm also going to be yes to not because of the cover art. Like that just seems super generic to me. Um, but the description kind of has me interested because it's using a lot of words from when I did more flying than sitting in a cubicle. So um, I'm curious to see because I think you're right. I think the the like it's a lot, and so I'm curious to see how they translate. A description that feels like a lot into gameplay and still have that kind of excitement and intensity that the description has. Now, on description, the only part that really makes me question what's happening is sleaze feels really out of place in everything else that's going on. Sleaze felt weird when you said it. 
I I guess it's supposed to kind of be like uh underworldy cyberpunk sort of uh rebellion-y type thing but yeah are, are are we both hackers and pilots like do we have to fly and hack at the same I mean, time kind of it does say that i just sleaze sounds like a weird word for this well sleaze isn't yeah. really hacking either right it's just being corrupt but i guess maybe somebody plays the uh corporate people i guess we'll find okay. out so, yeah, so speaking of that, how do we yeah. think it's played? And you get to participate, Kiwi. <laughs> Huzzah. Um, well, one versus many. So I think we are like a team of hacker type deals. And we uh, like there's probably some sort of objective where we have to like hack into a building. You think it's cooperative? Have, yeah. So okay. we have to distract like, you know, some people are going to do distractions while some people are like trying to hack in. I see. I feel like it's not cooperative. Who would say that? I feel like one person is going to be playing the corporation. Two of us then will be the sleazers. <laughs> I don't know if I, I want to be a sleazer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and I wonder if movement is going to be like um, X-wing or um, some of those others where you like select a you know I'm going to do a a hard right one turn maybe it is hex movement so i don't think it'll play quite like those but it, maybe it's just like you do we do have patterns or something we can fly i, I guess i don't know anything about flying so <laughs> that part yeah well uh, if i know anything i typically move in a hex like pattern when i fly don't know if that's a joke or not <laughs> no, uh, <it's- laughs> uh i think dice rolling uh, so i'm kind of curious because are we fighting like air to air like an X-Wing game? Because it doesn't really describe that. It describes much more like interaction with the ground or with objects than necessarily like air to air combat, right? I would say I definitely yeah. get more of a ground support than any kind of air to air. They mention hacking and fire support from the ground. Um, I do also think it's co-op. I'm, I'm with Kiwi on that. I think it's... Uh, okay. At many versus one, we're all going to be pilots. It might be semi-co-op in that we're competing to get from mercenaries or whatever off the ground or destroy the most objectives. But I don't think it'll be okay. one versus one versus one. And I feel like we're going to get an RPG feel to it too, because like you know, if we're flying around buildings and stuff, maybe our dexterity or our piloting skills, so we don't like smash into the side of one. Yeah, that'd be cool. Oh, that kind of be cool, like a a minis game with a lot more of like an RPG. PG element would be kind of cool. Yeah, so we're we're gonna mix uh, X Wing, uh, Netrunner, and uh, Pod Racing all together. That's what we're doing. All right. So, uh, so the his- history of Pod Racing. Close. We're doing it today. I want to take you on a journey through time and introduce you to a remarkable invention that paved the way for revolution in aviation. Join me as we explore the story of Leonardo da Vinci's aerial screw and its profound impact on the birth of vertical takeoff and landing flight. Imagine a world where humans could defy gravity, soaring effortlessly through the air like birds. Leonardo da Vinci, the genius of the Renaissance, dared to dream of such a reality. In the late 15th century, he conceptualized an invention that would forever change the course of aviation history, the aerial screw. The aerial screw was da Vinci's ambitious attempt to achieve vertical flight. His design featured a rotating platform with a large screw-like structure resembling a twisted Archimedes screw. Whatever the fuck that is. It's 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 a water thing. It's how you, like, move water. 
The vision was to harness the power of rotation to generate lift and propel oneself into the sky. At the heart of the aerial screw was a simple yet ingenious principle. As the operator manually rotated the device, the twisted blades created an upward airflow, mimicking the effect of a helicopter rotor. It was this concept that had the potential to unlock the skies and allow humans to transcend the boundaries of the earthly travel. However, Da Vinci's aerial screw faced significant challenges. It relied on human power, limiting its potential for practical use. Additionally, the lack of suitable power of a suitable power source prevented the realization of his vision. But despite these obstacles, Da Vinci's invention planted the seed of possibility, inspiring generations to come. The impact of the aerial screw cannot be overstated. Da Vinci's visionary concept laid the groundwork for the development of VTOL flight. His idea... His idea of... That's a bullet claim. His idea of generating lift through rotary motion became the basis for future inventors and engineers to explore and refine. It ignited the spark that would eventually lead to the creation of helicopters and other VTOL aircraft. And then we realized... I'm not done. Today, we witnessed the fulfillment of Da Vinci's dream in the form of modern VTOL aircraft. Technology advancements and pioneering minds have made it possible to take off and land vertically, just as he envisioned. The Harrier jump jet, the F-35 Lightning II, and even emerging realm of electric VTOL aircraft and anonymous flying... Autonomous <laughs> flying taxi. I just don't know the taxi either. Hold, hold on. I, I, just, I just want to point out that neither of those aircraft that he mentioned are helicopters. And, and autonomous, autonomous flying taxis all owe their existence to the seeds sown by the aerial screw. So let Wait, us what? embrace the legacy of Da Vinci's aerial screw and continue to push the boundaries of wherever of whatever is possible. Together, we can unlock the skies, redefine our relationship with gravity, and soar to new heights of human achievement. And it says pause for applause, so if you don't mind. I'm giving you a golf clap. I just want... <laughs> I just want it known that that was clearly some sort of AI generated <laughs> history because uh, it was also pretty sure helicopters trace their roots back to like ancient China. Well, so the idea of like a rotor, like the rotors turning and like lift, like we've had that for a while. The problem with Leonardo da Vinci's invention, while it might have produced lift, so there is a competition that goes every year where uh, it's a essentially a hand powered helicopter. Uh, but if you look at these inventions, they fill up like entire gymnasiums and they can't do them outside because like wind will completely. So the things with uh, rotor blades is they s sit on what's called a swash plate. Uh, so my favorite story about that is, is when they designed that one, uh, they had this idea that they would never have to fix stuff behind panels. Now, so they like with all those jets, like the F-22 and the AV-8. Uh, so since the Marine Corps was the only ones who operated it, it always took off from amphibious shipping, specifically LHAs or LHDs, which. So it's a long way, a long way since Leonardo <laughs> da Vinci thought of all this. Yeah. Yeah. So how do we play? We are riggers that control single piloted aircraft and our objectives are based on the scenario that is chosen. One player will take the role as the game master and control any non-player characters as well as be the ultimate judge for players actions. So in the first round, each player as well as the game master will roll 4d6 
and add the drive score of their character to determine the turn order. On a player's turn, they can move and take two actions. When it's the game master's turn, the NPCs will move and take one action. Different aircraft will have different movement points as well as movement requirements. Some can stay in the same hex while others are required to move a hex before they can turn. Generally, each hex of movement is one point, rotating a hex face is a movement point, and changing altitude is two movement points, and that's regardless of whether you increase or decrease your altitude. Movement can be done before, after, or between your actions. The actions are scoot, which is performing a special maneuver with the character's drive skill. Um, there are a lot of special maneuvers, um, some costing movement points to play, and they will all have a threshold value that you have to beat uh, with a test. Shoot is the next one, and you can make a physical attack with the character's attack skill versus the target's drive value. And if you're successful, the target takes damage equal to the weapon's damage value minus the target's armor and takes a point of system shock. The third action is sleaze, which is making a cyber attack with the character's sleaze skill versus the target's firewall value. It can either reduce a target's core attribute by one, and you get to choose which one, or learn all of the opponent's core attribute ratings. If you're successful, they also take a point of system shock. And then the last action is stabilize, which allows you to repair system shock or uh, attribute damage equal to the character's firewall. So some general concepts, uh, any character that reaches five system shock loses their next turn and one level of altitude to do a forced reboot, which removes all their system shock. Players start with three edge and can hold up to six. Uh, edge can be earned in different ways throughout a scenario, and they can add additional die to any roll and they follow the same rules as other dice rolls. So for all of your actions, if you're required to take a test, tests work the same way every time. So you're going to roll a d6 and you're going to add the result to one of your base skills. And the result is going to be based off the value. So if you roll a one, you're going to subtract one from your rating. If you roll two to four, nothing happens. Uh, and then a five will add to your rating. Six are what's called exploding dice. So every time you roll a six, you're just going to keep on rolling and you're going to add the next result uh, to your final result as well as the one for a six. So say you roll a six and then a five, that would be two successes. Ones, when you re-roll an exploding die, don't change anything. So if you rolled a six and a one, it's not a zero. It would just be a one for that six that you rolled. Then you're going to add it to whatever the appropriate um, statistic is. And then finally, you will uh, compare that against the threshold value. If it meets it or exceeds it, then you succeed. If not, then you fail. The game ends based on how it's written in the scenario. And that's also where the win condition is. Other than that, that's pretty much it. And those are all the rules. All right, well, uh, welcome uh, to Exit Vector. Uh, this is a game that uh, we all designed together. Uh, um, so the game is said dystopian future. You have mega corporations that rule the world. Uh, you have marginalized people who have uh, gone, taken on uh, criminalization in order to uh, make a living. Uh, technology has increased uh, to the point where man and machine will meld. Um, and our focus for this game is a tactical aviation uh, style combat. 
uh, why why did you choose to design a game like this? And did you take uh, uh, what what game systems did you take any inspiration from? So uh, so our primary game that we play as as players, uh, you know, and, and GMs is Shadowrun. So that's that's really where our first love is. Um, so a lot of this game is designed to uh, kind of supplement uh, the way Shadowrun works. Although this is a game agnostic, and you can play it by itself, or you can play with any other kind of uh, cyberpunk game. Um, you know, we kind of focused on that. And so the thing that we found is that Shadowrun, when you... Have you guys ever played Shadowrun? You're familiar it is with one it? of the few games we have not played. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's on the list. So it is... It is it can be a little complicated uh, and abstract, especially when it comes to the whole rigging side of the uh, of the game. Um, so we wanted to create a game that would make it easier to like kind of uh, you know conceptually conceptualize it and visualize the whole chase combat and stuff like that. So we focused on aviation because one, we're aviators uh, in the you know or have been aviators in the military and have had that experience. Um, so we we wanted to focus on that stuff uh, initially, but again, this game is you know will adapt to also the ground combat as well with with vehicles and stuff, and we have played it with vehicles on the ground. Um, so that's we get our inspiration from Shadowrun, and that's was kind of what we're trying to solve is the uh, is you know make it a very easy to learn you know very fast paced um, you know uh, game that you can do vehicle combat on. And that's kind of where we got. What do you, you got anything else, Matt, for that? Yeah, I mean, like, so as like a role player background, um, especially like Shadowrun is a fantastic game, but you just roll just handfuls and handfuls of D6s, <laughs> like, you know, 12, 16, 20 dice pools. Um, and that just kind of, that, that can cause gameplay to drag down. It's really fun to lo- run for a lot of dice, but, um, and then when you have like a game system, and it's not just Shadowrun, you have, you know, Cyberpunk or, 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 name your any sort of like kind of dark future blade runner style genre um just like piloting and driving kind of becomes like oh yeah you're the you're the taxi and we'll just do it cinematically but um and these have great rules for vehicles it just takes a long time um so we really want to find a way to get the whole team in so you, you'll you, you may have noticed uh, you know Dave was doing some co-piloting duties and you know he's doing a lot of repairing today but you can also set yourself up as a gunner, as a hacker, you know, like one person drives, one person does the shooting. Um, so you can totally integrate it into your tabletop role playing experience, or you can kind of do what we did today is just, you just run a single tactical scenario real quick. And, and once everyone gets on step um, and starts going, you can knock out a quick scenario in like 45 minutes. How do you choose to balance um, kind of your, your realistic to your gameplay elements? Cause I, uh, I know a couple pilots, and they like to tell you that everything is wrong, and it should be this way. <laughs> yeah, well, the good things we're we're pilots too, so we <laughs> and two of them might we, be in this uh, call. Yeah, I was about yeah. to say that sounds like a pointed attack, and I'm, <laughs> I feel I feel under fire. Um. Well, so uh, so yeah, so there is a game out there that I when I, we were researching this to see how realistic we wanted to be, and I I, I got to tell you, it's an old game. I don't know. What it's called, but I know it was developed by an Air Force guy, um, and I mean, you can literally like there's all these calculations for angle of attack and you know, uh, you know the you know the time radius turn and stuff like that. Like so, it was, 
you know, it was so complex that like literally you had to know how to fly an aircraft. And even then you're still looking through the books to figure out how to do it. <laughs> um, so we wanted to make something that kind of boiled down all those nitinoid details that you have to learn as a pilot and just, you know, make it quick and fun, you know, fairly realistic doesn't mean totally realistic. So we've taken some liberties with some of the uh, maneuvers and how, you know, uh, how everything works as far as uh, speed and stall speeds and stuff like that. So uh, if you look at the movements, uh, they're based off of a 50 meter hex or 50 meters. Um, you start to break it down with with speeds and stuff like that. It's it's pretty close to uh, you know your objective area speeds that you're going to be in. So I was a helicopter pilot. Uh, Matt is also a helicopter pilot. Um, and then uh, the game uh, creator. Uh, 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 chopper um he started off as a helicopter pilot and then became an uh, nfo so he was on jets and then he was also on uh on big uh you know prop uh aircraft doing uh doing some stuff with that um so he's kind of our he's our uh our rocket scientist like literally um he's got a aerospace uh engineering degree and you know he does all the math and stuff and kind of breaks it down you know, you know, as far as, you know, how much, how the movement points work and everything. Um, so, you know, we wanted to kind of, wanted to keep it fun, but have some realism there. Um, you know, uh, you know, hopefully we succeeded in doing that. Um, but uh, I think this is probably about as close as you're going to get without, you know, breaking out, you know, your, your fuel, uh, you know your your speed wheel, like figuring out what your fuel uh, ratios are and stuff. So, uh, what are the next steps for you guys in terms of uh, the game itself? Yeah, so we're shooting to uh, launch a Kickstarter um, around late June. So uh, we're getting close. Um, so we're uh, we'll launch Kickstarter, uh, let that go through, and um, and. You know, we're, we're, we're confident people are going to love the game. Uh, and then uh, we are also planning to be at Gen Con. Uh, we'll be running uh, a few events uh, in the Shadowrun room um, from there. And uh, what so what you've seen today is kind of our, it is our early access rules, but we will have, as, as Orlando was uh, alluding to, we'll have uh, more complicated rules. We have uh, character creation rules. We actually have um, a magic, um, a magic module that'll be added to the final game. Um, you know, so kind of merging those D and D concepts, uh, with, in with, uh, the, your cyberpunk, um, lore and, uh, yeah. So plan is to go completely live by Gen Con. Uh, and once we fulfill the, uh, all of our Kickstarter orders, uh, we'll, uh, we'll have direct sales on our website. We just finished a game of exit vector to recap. Uh, I stole all the kills. Alexi shocked himself into landing and walking away, and Kiwi was there. Yeah, I, I did all the work. You just mopped up. I guess uh, strategy. Yeah. Well, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, for the mission, uh, they were we were escorting essentially a a taxi, an air an air taxi uh, to the to the space needle. Um, I, I just wanted to, to shoot forward and then just shoot everything in front of me. Which yeah, your strategy the, was to anger everybody into attacking us because they yeah, were not yeah. aggressive towards us until you showed up. True. Yeah. Alexi? Uh, you know, I kept trying to hack something to switch it over to our side and it finally worked out. I over-sleezed Velodog. 
Uh, and then I was kind of playing the big gunship uh, uh, plane aircraft. What do I call that thing? Flying, sure. Flying aircraft. Yeah. Um, craft. Craft. I, I was uh, so I kind of just um, uh, uh, shot the things. Um, and I, I went last. So I was kind of convenient because then uh, Kiwi kind of uh, dictate which, them up. which thing yeah. to shoot. And then I, I killed it because he couldn't. Theme. What did you think of the theme? Did you feel like you were um, uh, cyberpunk pilots flying through the cyber Seattle? Uh, I'll say that I, I didn't, but I, I think uh, based on kind of their intent, uh, you know, they designed the game to be sort of system agnostic which means it was theme agnostic. So I'm not necessarily sure that I felt like I was a cyber hacker pilot person. Um, I think I'd be curious because I haven't, we haven't played cyberpunk 2077 or red yet, which is the newest version. So I kind of see how that feels versus this. But like you said, this is uh, at least in the version we played is sort of the base tactical part. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I guess the, the sleazing thing, which is basically hacking, uh, is kind of fitting that feel. Yeah. I mean, that, that was, it, I mean, that was cool when Alexi like scored high enough that he was, he was able to take control of the enemy aircraft, uh, which was pretty neat. But again, like, you know, that was the only bit that was sort of cyberpunky was that hacking yeah. part. So. Yeah, I think most of the theme came not from the system, but from the light roleplay of the Game Master, which Mm -hmm. I think fits very well for what they're going for, an an agnostic game system. Especially if you're going to try to include fantasy and magic, if they're going to go down the road of uh, maybe even like airship style in a D&D campaign. If the system is built to be that broad, they've got it down. Right, I think... um... Oh, I think one of the things would have been felt more like we were like diving through the streets and stuff, but our particular scenario didn't really, um, we were kind of just fighting. Uh, but yeah. I think had it maybe a different scenario, you might be have to be a little bit more sneaky and, uh, maneuvering, which, which may have given a bit more of that feel, but in our specific one, we were basically, uh, like, I mean, as, as I have an advantage for being high to, to shoot things. So I didn't really have a incentive to really. Uh, play with the vertical part so i was just a hole yeah which one of the designers did bring up saying you know had we started further down uh on the map we would have started in an area where it would have made more sense to be low altitude to be able to hide ourselves and then go you know to a higher altitude as we got closer to the the exit point well also just the mission of escorting right we needed to be in a position to like defend the guy not necessarily be sneaky ourselves uh table presence uh it's a little hard to tell because we were playing on roll 20 um so i'd I'd be interested to see what the actual game maps look like uh but basically it was a an aerial uh shot of seattle um with a a, basically a hex grid overlaid onto it Uh, what'd you guys think yeah i think uh you know this is one of those games like a lot of miniature games where i feel like you know, if you could get uh, like actual buildings, uh, you know, models and then have the model aircraft and then have the map down, I think you could have a, a really great, uh, you know, table presence where, where you, you are going to draw people's eye uh, to it. 
Um, you know, the map and the models would be okay. This would be one of those like, you know, you know, back in the day when we went to Games Day and they played those full sized yep. Imperial you know, Aeronautica Imperialis, where they had the the Forge World versions of all the 40k aircraft. Uh, you know, I, I think this would would lend itself to something like that for like a convention or something, or you know, if you had larger models for aircraft, um, you know, having larger hexes. Um, so you could have a pretty significant one, but yeah, I think you're right. You know, we saw it on roll 20, so we didn't get the, I, we definitely did not get the full effect of what they intended, uh, from roll 20. Right. I, I mean, I think like any kind of game like this, it's going to come down to your, even if you can't get all the buildings, the minis, right. If there, yeah. if there is minis, um, you know, like an X-Wing or something, it's, that's basically what, what is draws you in, I guess. Yeah, I just feel I can't really store it on table presence as a game system because the table presence is dependent on the group that's playing it. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a a tricky one, especially on on Roll20. But I mean, I guess the advantage is is, is that that type of game that you could overlay, like you said, it could be whatever you can come up with as long as you can build out a map for it, I guess, and hex grid over it. Mechanics. What do you think of the mechanics, Kiwi? Uh, I mean, nothing to really write home about. So the mechanics that I put uh, at the beginning were just kind of my best guess. So like when you look at Board Game Geek, which is where I usually draw those mechanics, um, there was not, they didn't, they, there's none on Board Game Geek. Um, so that's why I, you know, I, I kind of made those myself. Um, I think overall, like there isn't a whole lot of, um, like nothing crazy. But I think everything, there was nothing that was felt out of place. You know what I mean? Uh, and I think the mechanics themselves also lend it to that system agnostic uh, thing that they're going for. Yep. Mechanically solid. There wasn't anything really lacking. Well, ramming. It was lacking well, ramming. lacking ramming. Uh, there were a couple <laughs> things like ramming. Uh, but I or... feel like they covered that by saying um, that it's part of a role-playing game and there's GM fiat, the thing. To sure is, but I... They're also kind of mark. They're also. It sounds like going to build out like a, a standalone, basically tactical system around it, mm. uh, which is. And they are, did say they're going to have more advanced like flying mechanics, but I mean, I think ramming could also just be like you can't ram because these things would crash, and yeah, you know, that's just not an option. But like, I think things like uh, missiles, right? I thought like missile range would have been interesting. Uh, like it being more effective at further range, whereas guns are more effective closer or something. Yeah, and um, I thought I was going to have to lock on because there was a lock on maneuver. I did see that, yeah. Yeah, so I, was, I thought I was going to have to do that and then fire my missile. But to Alexi's point, there is, and that's what was interesting is, I guess that was the one verse mini we were talking about at the start, is that there is a GM, at least. Uh, yeah, there is a GM. So there's, that kind of gives you a lot of flexibility and needing like really hardcore rules. So that that's actually kind of smart because then you don't have to worry about being too like nailing down every single little rule like a, like a Gloomhaven yeah. for instance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you, you have a GM to sort of just uh, you know kind of make rulings and things like that and make sure that the fun outweighs necessarily the rules as written. Yeah, kind um, of the the rule of cool kind of takes takes priority. Yeah, so that is kind of kind of cool. Um, and I guess in that case, like. You know, the GM could maybe decide that you do need to lock on for missiles. But uh, I mean, I guess we have to go off of what we were what we played today. Rules. How was it learning the game, Alexi? It was a little bit difficult, but I feel like 
it was we just didn't get um, all the information we needed up front. Like, I wasn't sure some of the mechanics, like being higher or lower, I would have done things differently had I been aware of that going into my first turn. Um, but the rules, once we got them down, by the end of the session, I felt pretty like I had rolled through another session in about 40 minutes. So I think the rules are solid. But it's hard to grade without a rule book. I'm still not entirely sure I know the ruling. <laughs> oh, just like success you, system, you, right? You, just five or six is a success and one is a critical fail. But it's a, it's a success and you get a plus one, right, to your overall stat. Like, it's not really a success. It's just a well, modifier. It's a hit number of hits or number of successes. So there's no modifiers. I guess that was what was... It took me a second to get that part down. Their stats are just the base number of hits that you get when you attempt something. And then every dice that rolls a five or a six gives you another hit. Every six lets you roll another dice, and every one takes away a hit. Right, so it's really just a plus one modifier or minus one modifier. Right. I do think... I never felt like the exploding dice were... They were very niche, because there was very few times over succeeding on something mattered. It was really just attacking. Yeah, and I think with the six, like instead of it counting as a plus one, whatever that die roll was next, that's what you got. So like if you rolled that six and you rolled a five afterwards, that's five hits in your the way you were phrasing it. And if you had rolled another six, you would have rolled it again. So it would have been a six hits and then more hits after that. Well, because every dice can only be one hit is what I've think i understood oh maybe yeah okay so i guess that goes into learning the game <laughs> yeah yeah obviously for me um and this is not unusual that i don't <laughs> i finish a game and i don't <laughs> uh, like rpg wise um understand dice rolling but i, I was a little unclear on that but it, overall it's not too complicated um it is definitely which goes to like running rpgs like it's a game where if the gm understands it's pretty easy to run um, but I do think like at the start of the demo, uh, I feel like a demo turn would have been good where like they kind of had it laid out so that um, we could kind of see a variety of the actions and all of the gameplay like in a sort of a demo round. And then we jumped into it. Something like that would have been helpful. Yeah, for a teach like this, it's one of those trade offs of, you know, how much do you teach uh, to begin with and how much do you just jump into the game? Because, uh, you know, there's folks like, you know, Eric and BP who very much learn by doing. So, you know, how much do you trade off that you explain at the beginning and then just kind of catch up? Because then you hit on Alexia's point, which was, you know, had I known about altitude, right. it, that would have been more. And, and the only reason why I knew to ask was because, you know, I knew that they were trying to go for semi-realistic and having altitude would definitely help you. Um so that's why I asked. And I think had I not had that knowledge, I might not have asked. Yeah, I wouldn't have asked. Because uh, like I said, there are some things that do have modifiers and some things that were simplified. So it was kind of hard to know what to ask about. Um, but like I was saying, if in that reason, I think like a demo turn where it's set up. So you have a here's an air, aircraft, here's an enemy, here's an altitude difference. And then you do like just a quick round of like here's an attack and here's a hack, um, that kind of thing. And then yeah. just get it out of the way in like a few minutes, but actually show it in an actual like gameplay rather than just mm -hmm. like reading out the rules, I guess. I think the only thing that really confused me was not the game system, but the example scenario. Uh, the first question I asked was, 
are all of these triple A's hostile? And then they were not relevant for V. And the answer was yes, but they never attacked us or responded to our attacks for the scenario. Yeah, I think I think we were I think we might have been out of range for most of them. But I guess there's no way to tell. At least I couldn't see a way to tell like what make where are they a threat their range or anything. So I started the beginning of that worrying about them. But in reality, it was these other drones that were completely uh, the danger, which might have just been because you shot one. Yeah, I kind of think it was a GM thing of, you know, running a combat. You there were so many things on the board and it could have gone either way. Had he not shot the drone and we were trying to be sneakier than the AA's guns may have come into play more. Um, but since he shot the drone immediately, then it was more about the drone fight. So that might have just been a balance GM based balance on that one. I'll just dismiss yeah. them because we chose what faction to fight. Yeah, and and I and uh, looking at the cheat sheet as well for the sleaze attacks, one of the things you can do is hack. But one of the other options it has here is is you can learn all of the stats basically for the target. Oh, okay. So you could get that information. Yeah. Yep. All right. Um, player interaction. So it, it is cooperative. So you are working together. I think um, because we sort of were learning with the developers, maybe we we weren't as communicative. But I imagine. In a normal game, it it would be like a, a Gloomhaven or or a RPG where everybody is like talking their plan. I, you guys did a little bit with like your ramming attempt and yeah, um, your what to do with the controlled uh, law dog. But and and I, and I think had we played this as part of a story or an ongoing campaign, yep, there would have been more talk because you know any RPG group is going to exactly figure out what they want to do. Yep. I mean, the multi-crew part was pretty cool, having the uh, developer-controlled pilot and co-pilot that had different roles. One thing I would like to see, though, is more abilities for us to aid each other, other than me taking control of the uh, enemy and turning them around. I Like, there's not really... You can't share targeting data, for example, or whatever the equivalent would be, to give someone else a adva- uh, better bonus to hit someone or hack them. I or like maybe a maneuver that lets you, um, you know, screen a target. Um, it's like we get because we're our goal is to escort a guy, but we couldn't do that much to protect him, um, other than try to blow up the things around him. So, like, if there was a maneuver that was like helping you, like, uh, you know, take fire for a, a teammate, um, that would be kind of cool. Or, yeah, like, I, but I think this Alexa gets back get to off the ground after he shut down. Yeah, I think this gets back to your point, Eric, about it, you know, it being, you know, a GM facilitated basically is, you know, you could just tell the GM, this is what I want to do. Uh, you know, I, I want to paint the target with a laser so that everybody else gets targeting data, or I want to fly in between the, the tar, you know, the, the, you know, the, uh, the aircraft we're escorting sure. and the enemy, you know, so th- having the, the GM facilitate kind of negates a requirement to have some of that. Um, yep. So I think that kind of gets to your point, though. All right. Uh, would you play it again, Kiwi? Yeah, I think I would. I, I think um, it doesn't fit for something that I would have in my house, but I could definitely see it as a great... Because I, I think the other example, I don't know if you guys have played it, but Starfinder, when we did that you know, spaceship combat, it felt super clunky and just was- blah. It, like I did not like it, 
Um, I think a system like this would have been a lot better. Um, I know listening to like the glass cannon, they also disliked uh, space combat and they were able to fill out pretty much all the roles on a ship, which, you know, when we tried it, we weren't able to do that. But I think having something super simple like this uh, and the fact that, you know, they've, they've thought about, you know, you could use it for a chase scene, you could use it for ground combat. You know, I could see this being able to fit. And then, you know, since it's theme agnostic, if I want to make it fantasy and instead of VTOL aircraft, we're all flying dragons or something, you know, you could still do that. And this system would allow that to be able to be done. So I, I could definitely see, you know, an agnostic system like this to be bolted into any kind of RPG. And I feel like it, it could easily be made to work. So I, I would do, I would play it again. Uh, Alexi. Yeah, absolutely. I really kind of want to play it at least one more time to try to get a feel for the maneuvering and rules, but probably with the full rule book. Uh, my so before they even kind of mentioned that this was like meant to be primarily as a, as sort of an extension to an, an RPG. That was my first thought was one, man, this is better than Starfinder. And yeah. two, um, like I could see this like you know, slotting into even like a flying circus, which is like less, um, just more complicated, but, but flowed smoothly. Like this would still be like a bit more fun for everybody. Cause it, it kind of fits kind of a more tactical game like Gloomhaven, but you could add more RPG. That, that was my other thought was it could go two directions, either slot into an RPG system or to be like more of a Gloomhaven. And it would need a little, little bit more, um, stuff around it to be standalone. Um, but I, I kind of saw those kind of two directions. Um, so, well, yeah, when they mentioned that this was kind of designed kind of as a system agnostic extension to RPGs and that they would have their own sort of character system and like magic system, which I think is very smart because, you know, people who are maybe aren't interested in, in flying mechanics are a little more interested in the fantasy elements. Yeah. Uh, and then you can obviously have a lot of fun things for other characters to do if, if you have magic systems and things. Um, so I, I will say yes, uh, especially as an extension to an RPG as a standalone game. I kind of have to see a little bit more around the rules um, yep. and the different scenarios they come out with and things like that. But uh, I definitely could see it as as like running it as part of an RPG. Yep, definitely. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, that was Exit Vector. So if you have any recommendations of games you would like to hear our impressions on, or if you're designing a game and you'd like to come on our show and teach us it, uh, please send them our way. You can do it via email at firstturntabletop at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at firstturncast. And the podcasting camel says, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcatchers. He's getting system shocked. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Play more games. And that was five. I like how you told me to do the history, and now you're doing the history anyway. Um, and now you think that they will all be attacking you. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> Four hexes away, so only a minus two, and I will try to sleaze with a law dog.
and with, with still credit with that one with another half kill that's 1.5 <laughs> kills <laughs>